0: I'd invite you to open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, the last time we were here, we looked at uh, verses 5 through uh, 24, as Jesus uh, uh, prophesied the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem as well, and uh, now we're going to be looking at verses 25 through the uh, end of the chapter, as Jesus begins now speaking uh, about the last day, the final judgment of God. I'm going to begin reading verse 5 just so we catch context. This is God's Word, Luke uh, chapter 21. Let's begin reading verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the day will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? There will be terrors and great signs from heaven, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict." You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged in the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came in the temple, came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, you have given us this teaching because it is something that you believe we need to hear. And so I pray that you'd also give us thin ears to hear it. That we would hear our Lord Jesus speaking to us clearly and plainly today, calling us again to faith. In Him, and to prepare for His return, Lord, give us that grace. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we've been going through the Gospel of Luca, we—if you've been following along—you know that we've come to the um, last week of Jesus' ministry before His uh, death on the cross. Uh, This uh, is probably Jesus is probably speaking these words still on a Wednesday. Uh, He will be crucified uh, Friday. And uh, so these words carry uh, the weight of the moment for Christ as uh, he is giving his disciples uh, some of the last things that he's going to teach them. Uh, these uh, words also carry the weight of the moment for the disciples. They don't know this yet, but um, these are some of the last things uh, they will be taught. Uh, they will have the Last Supper, and Jesus will give them more teaching about uh, what's going to happen. If you read the uh, Gospel of John twelve and following, you'll you'll see the words, uh, the teaching of Christ there on that Thursday. But there's, there's a wait here as Jesus prepares them for what uh, is to come, both the destruction, uh, the persecution they're going to experience, the destruction that's going to happen to Jerusalem in the temple, and then the last days, the coming of Christ on that last day. And so this, these are words uh, that have the weight of the moment for you and me. Uh, We are living in the last days. There's nothing else that has to happen in the history of redemption before the heavens split open and Christ returns. It could happen this afternoon. And so there's a a wait here of, of the moment that we need to just be aware of. Last, excuse me, my voice is going to be a little, uh, little off today, um, but the last week we studied verses 5 to 24 and noted that Jesus was very specifically addressing his disciples as he talked to them about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. They're admiring this magnificent building. Lord, look at these stones. And Jesus says, I, well, they're impressive, but they're all coming down. They're going to be torn one, uh, one after another, all torn down, and that happened in A.D. 70 when Rome finally sacked uh, Jerusalem. Well, here in uh, our text, Jesus is continuing to speak prophetically, but um, the, sh- the focus shifts from things that are going to happen in the near term uh, in A.D. 70 and things that are going to take place uh, at the end of the world and and so the words that Jesus has for his disciples uh, watch yourselves and stay awake are are very specifically for us uh, as well. Uh, these are the things that a parent will say to a a college student as you send them off for a new semester, maybe a long drive back to school uh, watch yourself, stay awake. Uh, we know there are there are dangers that are uh, possible um, um, Things that, that could harm them. And so we want to warn them. Well, Jesus loves his disciples. His concern, if you just read it again in John 17, his prayer for those who he's called and those who will believe in their message. You and I, Jesus loves us. And he's concerned that we, that we are aware of the dangers of drunkenness and dissipation and the cares of this world. Uh, he wants to see us safely brought to our eternal home. Just two main points this morning. First, uh, the, the information that he has concerning last days and then the present day application. The disciples had asked Jesus, when will these things be? And Jesus begins to speak, not directly answering their question. He doesn't say AD 70, which you would think would, be, would have been helpful information. If he'd have just told them when it's going to be, and, and the same for the end times, but that's just because we're, we're human and foolish. Uh, God knows that um, any th- sort of thing like that would, would tempt us to sloth, to do exactly contrary to what he says, stay awake, be very, if, if it was 80, 70, right, your people, right, who, who get to church maybe at 9.33, uh, thinking by the time the announcements get done, right, we'll be safe, we'll be safely in. Uh, wait till the last possible moment. Well, that's exactly how we would approach eternal things. Uh, And it would be devastating to our soul. We wouldn't be staying awake. So Jesus doesn't answer with a date. But what he does is he tells them there will be signs to watch for. When you see the the, uh, armies surrounding Jerusalem, know that the end is near. And then get out of the city. Gives them instruction. This is what you need to do. And we know that, as a matter of history, that that's exactly what the church did. They, they, they stayed awake, they paid attention. When the signs were being fulfilled, they left the city, and so were not caught up in the destruction. Well, in a similar way, now, as Jesus speaks of end-timed uh, realities, he calls us to be paying attention, stay awake, watch for the signs, and be ready. Now, there's some de- debate here. In fact, uh, this is a, a, a text here before us that has... Um, Commentators scratching their head and papers being written, dissertations, um, because there is some confusion here. Uh, How exactly does this text work? Is Jesus talking uh, still only about the fall of Jerusalem, or is he speaking about the end of the world? Um, There are some notable Reformed uh, teachers like Sinclair Ferguson, R.C. Sproul, who believe that all of chapter 21 here is referencing what's going to happen in A.D. 70, that it was all fulfilled then in AD 70, that this Jesus isn't addressing end times uh, in in any significant way. Well, I don't think that's true, and we'll look at why I... um I think the text is, is pointing us to end times in a moment. But just, just remember that prophetic literature often has this characteristic that as the prophets will talk about something that's going to happen in the near future, they use language that will both reference the, the uh, event in the near future and end time reality. It's sort of like um, if they're talking about the, the fall of uh, Jerusalem and, and Babylonian captivity, if you read that language, uh, there are drastic things being spoken of that will only really be fulfilled when Christ returns. Uh, Reichen explains, listening to these prophecies of judgment is like looking at mountains from a distance. From a distance, it's hard to distinguish the mountains from the foothills. They all blend together, sort of in this blue haze on the horizon. But as you get close, you start to realize there are there actually are foothills, and then there's the majestic mountain range behind it. Well, the, the near-term uh, judgment realities are the foothills. So when Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, He's talking about the judgment of God, but not the, not the final judgment, it's the foothills. But, but he's talking about it from a distance. And so as he talks about it, there's going to be references here to foothills and to Majestic Mountain, the, the end time event. And we're left to sort of discern. He doesn't tell us specifically. Well, we're going to see that as we look at Jesus' prophecy here. Let me just point out a few things from the text, uh, which is why I believe that Jesus is speaking here in verses 25 and following primarily of the end time event of judgment. First, the language of cosmic disruption. Verse twenty five and twenty-six, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on earth distress of nations in perplexity, because the roaring of the sea and the waves, there's gonna be massive chaos. People feigning with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Those are cosmic things that are going to be happening on a universal scale. Uh, Jesus speaks of that in verse 35. I'll just skip there a minute. That day will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. He's clearly not speaking of something that's going to happen simply to this one region of the world, to one city uh, in that region, but something that's going to happen uh, on a cosmic scale. Uh, Peter also speaks with similar cosmic language in 2 Peter 3.10 when he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief then the heavens will pass away with a roar the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now some have pointed out that that sort of language uh, apocalyptic language is uh, can mean lesser sorts of things or, or can be um, picturesque ways of talking about Temporary events, that might be true, but I think we want to take them as literally as, as we can. I think that um, there are cosmic things that are going to take place. Uh, when Jesus returns, he's not going to slip in. There's going to be um, cosmic shaking taking place as the, as the heavens with a roar are opened. It's going to be majestic. It's going to be terrifying. For those who don't know him, it's going to be delightful for those who've been waiting for him. Um, and then we're going to see the Son of Man coming on a cloud, Jesus says, verse 27. Well, that, I think that language just needs to be taken as uh, Jesus coming again as he, as he left. Remember when he, when he ascended into heaven, a cloud came and received him. And the disciples are standing there looking, and angels came and said to them, uh, what, you know, why are you looking up at the clouds? Uh, he's gone, but, but in the same way that he went, he's going to return. He's going to come back on the clouds of heaven. And there are other texts in Scripture that speak very specifically about that. And so I believe, I believe Jesus is here talking about the last day event, when he's returning when in all glory uh, to judge the living and the dead. However, well, there is a, uh, there's a phrase here, that um, throws a wrench in this a little bit. It'd be, nice, it'd be a nice, neat expo, uh, exposition here. But there's a phrase here, verse 32, that, that gets a lot of ch- a chatter. Because Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. So what does that mean? If Jesus is telling his disciples that none of them uh, will die until the last day, until the judgment day, then clearly someone messed up. Uh, and there are many uh, scholars who will say, here's an example of, a, of an error in the Bible. That the, This is a clear evidence that Jesus uh, thought that the world was going to end soon, but Jesus was just wrong. Uh, Jesus does say in another gospel that uh, of that last day, no one knows the day or the hour but the Father only, and so maybe he was just taking a stab at it here and uh, was quite sure it was going to happen soon, but the Father had other plans. Well... That doesn't work for several reasons, obviously. It, it, uh, it'll devastate your theology of uh, Jesus as God, uh, who clearly says he is, and God cannot lie. But notice how Jesus um, is ahead of us on this one, and in exactly the very next verse, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not wrong on this, right? The the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. He's claiming that status here for his words. He's God. And so we simply cannot uh, possibly go in the direction that Jesus was mistaken. I think this is a good place, just to remember that uh, what our confession says, chapter one. Paragraph seven, I believe that when it talks about the clarity of Scripture, the perspicuity of Scripture, it says that not all parts are equally alike to all, and so there are places in the Bible that are hard to understand. Um, John Piper has a, a wonderful article about, uh, on this online if you want to go look it up about why are there some such some hard to understand things uh, in Scripture? Why doesn't it, why doesn't it just all? Crystal clear to to the simplest of minds. Well, and his answer is that is because the Lord wants us to study our Bible, to do the work, to dig into it, to, to examine and uh, compare texts. Well, this here's a here's the thing that it makes you do the homework. So, what is what is the answer? How do we reconcile this? The, the flat truth is I don't know exactly how best to reconcile this, and and. Um, I've read from, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities. Some take the word generation and say, well, the word generation, and it's true, can mean race or, or people group. Um, in the New Testament, sometimes, you know, so Peter will say, save yourselves from this wicked generation, this, this whole race of sinful people, save yourself by, by coming to Christ. So, so it's possible that, that, that Jesus is saying that the world's going to go on as it goes on, that this, is, is, this, this wicked generation is not going to pass away until, until Christ returns. That's possible. I think it's stretching it a bit. I think a better um, way to understand it is to um, note in Mark 13.30, this gets a little complicated, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this. In Mark 13.30, where uh, Mark ha- gives this account, Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Well, that phrase, these things, references directly back to the disciples' question, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of these things? And, it's, and it's, so it's, it's very possible that Jesus, in using that very phrase, these things, is just referencing now the foothills again. He's, 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 he's saying this generation will not pass away until the, the, the things related to the fall of Jerusalem and the temple take place. Again, uh, if you would love to do um, some study on this, knock yourself out. If you come up with the answer, um, feel free to let me know. We'll have a discussion. However, let's not get lost in the weeds here. Because whatever that specific phrase is referencing, don't lose sight of the point. The point is that um, judgment is going to happen both for Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, and it's going to happen for, at the end of the age. Uh, God's word does not fail. The judgments of God always happen exactly as he says they're going to happen. And and that, you see, needs to be understood and heard because there's things that we need to do in light of it. And it's precisely because people um, have no sense, no conviction that there's any judgment to be concerned of that, that they don't do the things that Jesus tells us we must do. There's application here for present day living. So Jesus immediately moves into the application, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. What do we need to watch for? Notice Jesus doesn't say here specific, watch for the signs. He says that in the parable of the fig tree. That when you see the buds beginning to come out, as we have just have seen, uh, we know that summer is close at hand. Everybody knows that. It's, that's the season. Well, it, Jesus says with the same certainty, when you see the signs of the end of the world, um, you know the kingdom of God is at hand. But here, he says, watch yourselves. As much as we need to be paying attention to Um, the judgments of God in time, and we need to remember that that we need to watch ourselves. Why? Well, because there are dangers. Watch yourself, lest dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of the world weigh your heart down. A dissipation is a a very sad word. It, It means to waste your life, waste your time, waste your resources with just foolish living. A dissipation isn't a sudden event. It happens gradually. It's a slow process of becoming less and less. If a cloud of smoke dissipates, it doesn't just suddenly disappear, but you'll just notice it gets lighter and lighter and lighter and fades away until finally it's gone. Well, there are people living all around us who are in maybe 50, 60, 70 years old and they've been living a life of dissipation and now as you see them, they, they were once full of vigor and, and health. They were full of ideas and plans and dreams, but But they've wasted their time and wasted their resources, given themselves to things that do not fill them but empty them. And so now you see a shell of a person walking down the street. That's tragic. But if you have your eyes open, you see it all the time. It's dissipation. It happens spiritually. Where people um, slowly, slowly become less and less and less until there's no weight left. Jesus says, watch yourself. Watch yourself for drunkenness. That's very similar. Um, it's very closely related to the idea of dissipation. A life of, of, of drinking and drunkenness is a, li- is a dissipate life. But this is a very specific thing, Jesus says. Um, and, and it has a literal application in, in terms of if you're drinking to drunkenness, Jesus wants you to know you're, you're wasting your life get sober. If you're using alcohol to try to cover the pain or try to uh, cure boredom or just tune out for a while, uh, you are wasting yourself. Do not be drunk with much wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting, I think, that Jesus would warn his disciples about this. I, uh, he, he doesn't warn them of just generic things that he's grabbing out of the sky he's warning them because it applies to them and, and I've never really thought of the disciples as as men who would have drinking problems so how do you make sense of this well I, I think it's it's um, the clue is found in the next phrase where Jesus says, speaks immediately about the cares of this life uh, and, and all three you see in a sense go together dissipation drunkenness and the cares of this life Jesus is saying, you see, that an inordinate concern for, care for, the things of this life function as a spiritual narcotic. To be be focused on the things of this world primarily and only, you see, is a dissipate life. It's a way of wasting your life. It deadens your senses. And you become foolish. You're living for all the wrong things. You recognize Jesus saw this every day. Every single day, Jesus who knows the glory of heaven, who knows exactly where this world is headed in its history, who knows the day is coming soon, when all these people are going to stand in the presence of God and give an answer for their life, and he looks and he sees people intoxicated with this world, completely smashed spiritually on stuff that's passing away. They're thinking about marriages and children and jobs and pleasures and power and possessions, the stuff they have or wish they have, uh, their houses, their health. None of them evil in and of themselves, but, but, but the evil, you see, is that these are the things that weigh on their hearts. These are the things that they care about. These are the things they worry about and talk about and think about, and, and they're dead to God. They're just not asking, how must we be saved? No one asks that. How must we be saved? I was traveling this uh, week, Friday on the way home uh, from San Diego, and uh, we had to make a stop in Las Vegas. Uh, it's an, always an interesting flight, I find, from anywhere to Las Vegas. Because I, you just listen to the conversations. Uh, there was a, a lady right behind me, earnest young woman, uh, giving tips to a very attentive young man, about some supplement that she was recommending, uh, promising him it was all natural, organic, and that it would, um, if he took it several hours before he uh, hit the bar and went into heavy drinking, it would radically lessen the effects of his hangover. And she had tried it uh, recently and promised it had, uh, promised great results. And he assured her that he was uh, planning on some drinking that very night and would certainly give it a try. And there's, as I just look around and listen to this, this uh, they're going to go to this uh, casino and they're going to go to this show and they're going to do the zip line down the, the center and that, that sounded fun. And there's no hint that anyone, anywhere, was considering anything about a coming day of judgment. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's just living life, you see, in a way that we're, just, we're dead to the things that are to come. And, and, and most Americans, we just live this way. We're, we're, we're people who are drunk on, the, on, on making a living, drunk on sports, drunk on romance, drunk on kids and working out and vacations and living day-to-day life utterly unaware, unconcerned, uninterested in a day of divine judgment, even though every single person will experience it. But notice here, Jesus isn't talking to the pagans. He's not talking to the outside world. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to you, he's talking to me. Watch yourselves. Because, you see, we are just as capable of being intoxicated with living our life and ignoring the life that's to come. Watch yourselves. He's not talking to outside people, he's but to his followers. Now, this is not a prohibition against living your life and even enjoying your life and thinking about your life and, and praying about your life, but it, it, it's a concern that that becomes your life. And as you just live your, your American West Michigan life, You are drunk and intoxicated and blind to eternal things. Friends, we need to recognize that anything that weakens our resolve to live for Christ or deadens our spiritual senses is is exactly what Christ is talking about. Reichen says, according to Jesus, anything that prevents people from getting ready for their day of death or for the end of the world is a lifestyle of senseless debauchery. So your nice little lifestyle that has no thought to eternal things is senseless debauchery. Anyone who spends his time seeking his life and the things of this life is not ready for the life to come. That's a word word we need to hear. We, we live in a, in a generation that is more distracted maybe than any before. Um, in, in past ages, you don't have internet on your phone. You don't have all the, the, the blog posts and the articles and the games and the videos and the movies all there to distract you. You didn't have that. You, you, lived, you lived in God's real world and there was death present all the time. Constant reminders of, of the, the fact that the life is short but we're surrounded by things that distract us and that deaden our spiritual senses. Think about the entertainment industry. Just Again, just how weighty things are, are treated with incredible lightness. So death is just a, a part of the plot and, and even something to be maybe enjoyed. It's treated tritely. It's not the judgment of God on sin. You don't walk out of a, a, a movie where... where um, you know, people are just being shot as part of the entertainment and, and walk out with the weight of the judgment of God on the world. Sex is treated cheaply, utterly ignoring that God created it for covenant, a weighty covenant relationship. And the human body doesn't exist for personal pleasure, but for the glory of God. There's nothing that Hollywood's producing that will tell you that. We just gotta wake up. These are the things that weigh down our hearts. This is the real real world that we live in. These are, and these are the sorts of things that Jesus says, just watch yourself. Just pay attention. This world is not a friend to grace to help you on to God. These are the things that, that sap your spiritual vitality and your, and, your, and your spiritual joy. And there's a tragic result here. You see, those who live like this are gonna find that day coming upon them suddenly like a trap. They'll be living their life and doing their thing and, and paying attention to all that's around them, and then, bam, death is on them. Suddenly, they didn't expect it. They weren't thinking about it. They weren't prepared for it. And yet, there it is, and there's no escape from it. I've been at bedsides of people who are trapped, and I've seen the terror in their eyes. Utter, sheer terror. Terror as their conscience convicts them of their sin and they're dying and there's no rescue I can't think of a worse place to be in all the world than standing facing death and realize that you've fallen into the trap that's what Jesus is talking about so how do we avoid that Jesus says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Staying awake looks like praying. Notice that Jesus recommends prayer because Jesus knows that God answers prayer. Prayer is actually how we commune with God. It's not a religious exercise. It's it's how you talk to God. And you just lay yourself before God and and, and confess your sin to God and, and give praise and thanks To God, it's it's acknowledging God as God. A great way just to to, to test your own spiritual alertness is just to look at your prayer life. Do you actually simply talk to God in the name of Jesus Christ? Just you talking to the Lord your God, not not just having devotions in some trite way, but you truly, in your heart and soul and mind, facing God and addressing God, my Father who art in heaven. That's what we need to do. That's what Jesus says to do because, you see, we can't keep ourselves awake. We are prone to fall dead asleep. In the midst of all the great truths of God and all the warnings, we can fall fast asleep. So we need the Spirit to keep us awake, and that happens as we pray. And what the Spirit does, you see, is is gives us strength then to escape these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And that is the great issue of your life. The issue is how are you going to stand before God on the last day? Everything else pales. How are you going to stand? Because because the wrath of God, you see, is, is not endurable, Nahum 1 6, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. And that's why in Revelation chapter 6, you hear about the kings of the earth running to the hills, begging for the hill to fall on them, because the wrath of the Lamb has come. And, and who can stand in the presence of the fury of God's justice? Where are you going to hide? How are you going to stand? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Only he that has clean hands and a pure heart. Is that you? Not by nature. But see friends, this is exactly the beauty of the gospel. If you have your Bible, quickly just go to Romans chapter 5. We'll close with the wonderful truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Romans chapter 5. Here's the gospel answer to the Fundamental question, how shall we stand as sinners before a holy God? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what happens in the cross, what happens when Christ gives his life for you and that you believe in him, confessing your sin, repenting of your spiritual sleepiness and and coming awake by the power of God to the things of God, is that happens to you You enter by faith into grace where you stand. You stand there by the power of God. And and being there in that place of grace, all the goodness of God now yours in Christ, all free, when you stand there, you can rejoice in hope, in the confidence of the glory of God. The thing that, that once terrified you now becomes your hope, your expectation, your longing. And so we, we, we trust that God who's, who's brought us into this place of grace will keep us there. Peter says that in chapter one of his first letter that we are being guarded by God through faith until God reveals this inheritance that he's keeping for you. You can't be lost when you're in Jesus Christ. You've got nothing to fear if you're in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. You have everything to hope, everything to expect, everything to look forward to, which is exactly why Jesus says when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. In, in this world, there can be times where we're weighed down and the pilgrimage is hard and it's long and, and we're, we're sort of stooped over, but, but when you see the things that make everybody else start to panic and fear, when you see kingdoms collapsing, when you see judgments of God beginning to fall on this world, well, straighten up. It might be, it might be getting really close. Your redemption is, is at hand. That's what Jesus says. That's that's how he encourages you and me today. This is what God has done for us. Jesus Christ has offered himself to you as a refuge and and you are safe. You're safe in in that refuge. And that means that when Jesus Christ comes again, yes, your conscience convicts you. Yes, the devil accuses you. Yes, the world attempts and allures you and maybe tries to shame you. But Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, who's coming again for you, that Jesus assures you your redemption is drawing nigh, not your destruction. Your redemption the fullness of all that God has accomplished for you in Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle says this, however terrible the signs of Christ's second coming may be to the impenitent, they need not strike terror into the heart of the true believer. They ought rather to fill him with joy. They ought to remind him that his complete deliverance from sin and the world and the devil is close at hand, and he shall soon bid an eternal farewell to sickness, sorrow, death, and temptation. Does that sound like a good day, to bid farewell to all sin. Can you imagine? All temptation, all sorrow, all weakness, death, you bid farewell, and you go home to be with the Lord. Friends, Jesus Christ speaks to you this morning in his word. Where's your heart? What does that last day do to you inside? Does it fill you with fear? It does not need to. If it does, I just encourage you, go to this Savior. Take his word. Put your hope there in his word. It's, all, it's the only hope we have, that, that you just forget about uh, your best efforts, your intentions, um, any righteousness that you might be tempted to bring. You leave it all go, and you go and say, uh, other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on thee. I got nothing else, Jesus, but you. And then rest there. And look forward there to all that Jesus Christ himself has promised to you. Be watchful. Be awake. Be in prayer. Lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Amen.